0: Can't make it to every NHL arena?
1: Now here's the long and the short of it.
0: We've got you covered with our own Rink Rat. I'm sure this will be a real bonding experience. Sirius XM's Rob Brender brings you Rinkside on Lightning Power Play. All right, get out on the ice. Let me see what you can do.
2: Welcome everybody to The Rink Rat Show, I'm Rob Brender. It's been 40 years since the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team shocked the world by winning the gold medal in Lake Placid, taking down the mighty Soviet Union along the way. 40 years since the greatest accomplishment in team sports history was realized. 40 years since more people began believing in miracles than ever before and maybe ever since. When a group of college kids came together to form a dynamic, motivated and confident team, powerful enough to take down one of the greatest dynasties ever. If you were alive to see it, you'll likely never forget it. And if you weren't, you've probably heard plenty about it from the people who were. Our first guest this week lived it. An eight year NHL career led to being hired as the Olympic team's assistant general manager and assistant coach under Herb Brooks. He would go on to be the general manager and coach of the New York Rangers, followed by a 17-year tenure as the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, which saw the team win back-to-back Stanley Cups in 1991 and 1992. He was responsible for drafting some of the best players in Penguins franchise history, including Yarmur Yager, Evgeni Malkin, and Sidney Crosby. He's now a scout for the Penguins. It's the great Craig Patrick. Craig, how are you, my friend?
0: i'm great how about you
2: outstanding thanks for doing this really do appreciate it so 40 years since the miracle team pulled off what everybody thought was impossible and improbable and i'm sure you've heard this question as you pass through the decades since but can you believe it's been 40 years
0: (laughs) no every year it's, it's it just amazes me that it uh it still resonates so well in uh, in the world of sports, actually in the United States, uh, in a lot of circles. It's just uh, it's a, it's an amazing. It's amazing just to live it every year. It's awesome.
2: So you guys got together as a team, and I've imagined that you've had reunions at least every few years since, or maybe every decade since, but you got together as a team in Las Vegas last week. What is it like as the years go by getting together? Does it change in any way? How was this reunion compared to some of the others?
0: Well, uh, it's it's interesting because it's like time stood still. I mean, we, we all age, but we really haven't changed much uh, and it's interesting we don't talk about hockey that much we don't talk about uh, 40 years ago we just talk about what we're doing how many grandkids we have you know what, what's going on in life but our personalities are, are pretty much the same it's kind of it's, it's fun to get together with a group like that
2: oh absolutely so you don't talk about the game at all when you guys are together
0: only when somebody asks a question about
2: it. <laughs> That's fascinating because obviously everybody wants to, to hear about the game. And, and I imagine that everybody feels the same way in that room, though, that it's uh, it's amazing what you guys were able to accomplish. As you do go through the years, and again now 40 years out, Craig, is it somewhat surprising that the, the legacy of the team is as strong now as it probably has ever been?
0: Uh, it is surprising, but it is. In fact, what it is, yeah. uh, we we bump into people regularly who who remember where they were, they want to talk about it, and uh, it's, it's, it's just really interesting to, to have this carry on the way it has for 40 years.
2: When you do hear from people, is it more younger people or the people who are actually alive you think to see it?
0: All age groups. Mm-hmm. The movie Miracle did a great job telling the story, and... Uh, In today's youth sports, that movie gets shown, I don't care what sport it is, Mm -hmm. that movie gets shown by almost every coach that has a, a youth team, so all these young people are growing up with that movie.
2: Yeah, it's one of the great sports movies of all time, and it's been played, by the way, over and over again this past week, which is great that companies like ESPN and, and the big sports companies are realizing just how big a moment this is, and, and it does maybe expose more kids to it. We're talking to Craig Patrick, assistant coach for Team USA during the 1980 Miracle on Ice run, and then uh, also at eight years in the NHL prior to that, which a lot of people may forget, or if you weren't alive uh, to know at the time. Yes, Craig did play in the NHL for the Golden Seals, the Scouts, the Blues and the Capitals as well, and then went on to be the youngest general manager in NHL history when the Rangers hired him in 1981. So during the Miracle Run, did you get a sense that the exposure that you were getting as a coach was going to wind up leading to the career
0: that you've had since? Well, I had no idea. Um, I, Um You know, we're so, we, we had a busy, busy schedule and and we, I really didn't think about anything beyond that particular year. Anything beyond the Olympics. Uh, just we were just trying to be as good as we could be, and 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 Herb put those young guys through their paces for day in day out for seven months, mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. and that's all we focused on really. For and and fortunately for me, once it was all over, uh, USA Hockey hired me to. Trying to clean up the aftermath of everything because people wanted people wanted players all over the country to go to you know, whatever show it was or you know get on some TV program. So I, I it was my responsibility to get people where they needed to go, and in the process of doing that, I, I started getting interviews with NHL clubs, which I, I, that would have never happened had had the Olympics not happened for for all of us.
2: Oh, sure. And when it came to the Rangers, you have such a deep connection, your family does, with that organization. Uh, Lester, of course, your grandfather, uh, was a manager of that team and also played for that team. Uh, I believe your father, and if I'm not mistaken, another relative, maybe your uncle also played for that team?
0: Yes, my my uncle, Muzz, played. Actually, my grandfather, uh, my dad, and my uncle were part of the team in 1940 that won the Stanley Cup for the Rangers. Wow. So
2: that was, that had to be the dream come true. I would think when you got that opportunity,
0: uh, it, it, it was, I had a couple other opportunities that were offered to me, but, uh, I, I decided the Ranger one was the one I wanted to take. Absolutely.
2: Had to be the biggest challenge, going to the biggest market. We're talking to Craig Patrick. So when when you get hired, and I, I want to rewind just for one quick second, when Herb Brooks decides that you're going to be the assistant coach for the 80 Olympic team, how did that relationship bond to the point where he said, you know what, you're my guy for this opportunity?
0: Well, we had known each other. Um, when I graduated from college, I, I spent two years in the Army and had an opportunity to play while I was in the army play for the US national team and Herb was playing on the same team in the 70 and 71 two years that I was in the army so we got to know each other there and when I was playing for the Fighting Saints mid 70s mm-hmm. and they folded for the final time and I didn't have a job so I I was there in Minnesota St Paul area that and I asked her I asked Herb, he was coaching at the University of Minnesota, and I asked him if I could skate with a team to stay in shape, because I was hoping to catch on with somebody, and he let me skate with him and then the Capitals called, so I got a job at the Capitals, so, and then at, my last year playing was 78, 79, and the World Championships were in Moscow, and I was invited to play for that team, and it turns out Herb was the coach of that team, and so we rekindled rekindled our relationship, and during the Olympics, he asked me if I'd be interested in, in the Olympic job, and obviously I was.
2: Yeah, certainly. And at that point, you knew that your playing career was done.
0: Uh, yeah, kind of. You kind of can read the writing on the wall. I had spent, I had probably spent the second half of that season looking for a job, uh, primarily outside of hockey. I wanted to be in hockey, but I didn't know you know, if that could happen. So I was looking, I actually had a a potential opportunity with Transamerica Corporation that I was looking at seriously. And then the Olympic thing came along. So it changed everything.
2: Amazing how one fork in the road can change destiny like that. And actually that brings me to an interesting point. I was going to ask you about this anyway, because again, you come from this great lineage of hockey players and hockey managers, and you were in it for so long at that point I'm just curious if you could have really genuinely, especially now, imagine doing anything else.
0: Um, no I, I, I couldn't, but you know you, when you're walking walking through life, you don't you don't always get exactly what you want, so you've got to look at all options.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the one that worked out actually seems to be a pretty good one. No question about that. We're talking to Craig Patrick again, assistant coach for Team USA back in 1980 and all the accolades as a a general manager and a coach in the NHL. So you get to the NHL in the early 80s with the New York Rangers. And as such a young kid, I mentioned uh, the youngest general manager in NHL history at that point. Was that experience somewhat overwhelming just based on your age and lack of experience at that point?
0: I didn't see it that way. I I grew up in a family that was uh, in, in constant in pro hockey so I, I grew up with the general managers in the household um, and coaches so I, I kind of knew what it was all about and then ha- but ha- certainly having the experience of working with Herb who I think was brilliant uh, really really helped me uh, in, in my first job for sure
2: was the the style that he used, and, and again, I think a lot of people see it through the lens of the movie more than they lived it or, or really genuinely know what it was like. Was the style that we saw in the movie similar to what he was like in real life in terms of uh, the way that he was able to almost psychologically motivate that team?
0: Well, I, when you mentioned style of play, I, I my first thought was, that he, he was uh, bringing in something different for the type of hockey that was being played in North America at the time. Um, and when I was first exposed to it when I played on, on the national team in Moscow, and he started saying, what well, we don't want to be up and down the wings. We want to we open up the ice. We want you to move off the wings, get, get into open ice. Do do things that they're doing today, but he was ahead of his time in North America then in in '79, hmm. and I really enjoyed it. I thought this is great, you know. I don't I don't, I don't have to go up and down the wing all the time. I can move over here. I can keep my legs moving and get open, get passes. It, it was uh, it was refreshing as a player to try to implement his style, hmm. um, and then that's what he, he he used with the Olympic team. And he had them for seven months. So we only had you know, two or three practices to get ready for the world championships in Moscow. But he had seven months to get those guys prepared for the Olympics. And he had them playing a brand of hockey that was way different than anything they played before. Or, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was
2: going to say, and very similar to the Russian style, right? In that regard?
0: it was. He called it a hybrid between the Russian style and North American style, yes.
2: Mm, interesting, okay And so in many ways you think he was somewhat responsible For bringing that European flair uh, At least incorporating it slightly into the U.S. game
0: Absolutely
2: So when it comes to what you took most from him Is it is it the style? What about in regard to management? Um, you know, again, he was running that team But that's just a seven-month period does, does it rub off? Or did anything rub off from what he taught you In terms of management that carried over uh, in your career?
0: I'm, I'm sure there were things, but again, I grew up in a family that that were all in management after they played. They played and they coached and then they got into management. My uncle, Muz was with the Rangers. My dad was with the Bruins. Uh, my grandfather was with the Rangers for 22 years, but but I lived with my dad and my uncle on a regular basis through, through their management careers. Makes sense. So we're, we're
2: talking to Craig Patrick, by the way, assistant coach for Team USA in 1980, and uh, the management career, of course, for the New York Rangers, Pittsburgh Penguins for so long now. So you go from the Rangers and eventually wind up in Pittsburgh. But in terms of the experience that you garnered with the Rangers, how much better of a manager did you think you became once you took the Pittsburgh gig?
0: I, I was way better. I, I When I was let go by the Rangers, I, I couldn't wait for the next opportunity because I knew I was going to be a good general manager at that point
2: what do you think was the is or forget even was is the most challenging part of the job and especially in the market you were in in pittsburgh where at one point it looked like hockey was going to have to leave the city ultimately they wind up saving the franchise but uh keeping it around and mario lemieux helping to keep it around what has been the most challenging part there
0: having uh, having solid ownership is is, is important we I'm not sure the Penguins ever really had solid ownership until uh, Mario put a, together a group that, that could handle a major league budget, major league program. Um, that's that's the biggest, been the biggest struggle here. Now it's not a struggle at all. It's all I mean, they've, they've done wonderful things uh, with the new ownership group.
2: Yeah, playing in a wonderful arena too in town. It's amazing where it came from to where it is now, right? I mean, you you look back just what 15 20 years ago and as I said, there was a question as to whether or not hockey was going to last there and now all of a sudden strong as can be. You must be pretty uh, pleased with the way things have turned out in that regard.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm very I'm very happy for the way this organization is is set now. It's it's uh, I mean, there was it it was in bankruptcy twice in, in existence. Uh, before Mario got got involved in um in the ownership side and it it, i don't think they'll they'll ever see that day again they're they're in good shape really good shape absolutely
2: so again the cups in 91 and 92 and prior to that you were responsible for being able to draft a lot of the pieces that wound up leading to those cup championships including your armor yager and the Yager story I found fascinating if you wouldn't mind. Uh, and I know a few people have heard it, but for those who haven't. So uh, on draft day, you wind up with an opportunity to take Yager, even though you didn't have the number one pick. And clearly it seems like he was the best player to come out of that draft. He's one of the best of all time. How was it you were able to work that deal? So you guys were able to draft Yager.
0: Well, it really wasn't us that did it. It was, it was the armor himself. Um, as, as, as you might know, you interview all the, the prospects that you're thinking that you might be drafting, and uh, and Yager got interviewed by certainly the top five. We were the fifth, but I'm sure people behind us interviewed him as well. Um, and I didn't find out till to, to years later, but uh, when we interviewed him, he said, we asked when he'd be willing to leave like, Czechoslovakia and come over, and he said, "Well, if you dra- if you draft me, I'll come over tomorrow. I'll be here. I'll be right there," hmm. and that's mm-hmm. all he told us. But I didn't realize that he was telling other teams that he was going to stay over there for a few more years. Hmm. But that's what he was telling. Like Bobby Clark came to me specifically and I said, "Craig, how did you get him to come over? he told us he wasn't coming for a few years." And I went, "Oh, really?"
2: <laughs> and that was all his love for Mario.
0: That's uh, uh, yeah. Um, I'm certain that's what it was. He wanted to play with Mario. How about that?
2: I mean, it's amazing how things like that work out. Somebody kind of falls in your lap and, and he's willing to do whatever it takes, even lie to the other teams in order to make it happen. That's incredible. When you look back at your time in Pittsburgh as the GM, was that, you know, forget the number one moment, but as far as your legacy there and what maybe you're most proud of, is, is it the drafting of different players, the Yagers, the Malkins, the Crosbys?
0: Well, I, I think... Um, Initially, it was being able to recognize, and, and as a group, we recognized we needed certain elements to be successful. And then we wanted to, Mario needed good, good support around him to be to be a champion. Mm-hmm. And we recognized that we needed to get some, some help for him. And to me, drafting Augur was key, but also bringing in Joey Mullen, Brian Trotche, Larry Murphy, um, and, and rick talk it adding people that were quality players and quality leaders made a difference to to our organization when we started and 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 later on when we were able to draft uh, uh crosby malkin Fleury, Latang, those kind of guys that uh, i'm really proud of that as well but and had more to do with not doing well on the ice and being able to pick early <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true I guess that's what always
2: leads to those number one picks but you know what you guys have wound up in a great spot over the years to draft some of the most iconic players in the history of the game it's, it's incredible how things work out all in one organization and you must Craig love the organization and love the town to the point where you're still working there you're a scout there now uh, is it truly that way where you've really had kind of a love affair your whole life with that city
0: well, I've been here 30 years, so I, if I, 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 somebody told me in the mid-70s I was going to live in Pittsburgh for 30 years, I would have said they're crazy, but <laughs> I moved here, and I really, my family enjoyed it here. Uh, I have nine grandchildren. They're all close by now. Um, they've all stayed here, so it's, um, yeah, I, I, my my family is really taken to this area, and I'm pleased that they have, because it's a, it's a nice area to bring up a family. Absolutely, yeah. But, yeah. but the, but the same, the thing that you mentioned, like Pittsburgh's hockey, has been pretty lucky since the drafting of Mario. They've oh, had yeah. they've had a star every year since 1984. Yeah, it's incredible. And this is what 2020. That's a lot of years. I don't know any other any other organization that can say that. So, no, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh's been fairly lucky in that respect.
2: Yeah, most definitely. Uh, one last one for you, actually. I want to ask you about um, managing compared to playing. Uh, most players when they retire they'll tell you that nothing lives up to the expectation or the the excitement level of actually being on the ice, being part of a team or even i would think being a coach and actually being on the bench. Have you found that management has been as fulfilling for you as playing was or even coaching?
0: Well, i'd have to say say this, but i'm i feel totally fulfilled. I mean, I grew. I, I, when I was five, six years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to be in life, and, and I was able to do it. So, I, you know, I, I can't complain. I feel very grateful and, and, um, privileged to be able to have that in life. But to answer your question, playing is the most fun. Yeah. Uh, coaching is the next most fun, but I really enjoy being a general manager because. Uh, it's it's i guess it's what i wanted to be eventually um and it's it's all been fulfilling for me so i'm 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 very grateful for the life i've had
2: yeah, absolutely. And how many people get to look at their resume in hockey and say they've pretty much done everything. And essentially, I look at yours, and you've done everything. And that that's really incredible, truly incredible stuff. Craig, I can't thank you enough for this time. I know it's a really busy week for you. We had uh, the time where you went to, to visit with the Miracle Guys in Vegas, and then uh, the um, the trade deadline just passed, as a matter of fact, as well. So uh, thank you for the time. Really do appreciate it. It was a pleasure catching up with you.
0: Thank you very much. That... I appreciate being here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's the great Craig Patrick. This is the Rink Rat Show. We are back after this.
0: Are you a mouse or a man? As a matter of fact, no. We're neither. We've got a rat. Rob Brender is the Rink Rat on Lightning Power Play.
2: Welcome back to the Rink Rat Show. I'm Rob Brender. The NHL trade deadline came and went last Monday with a flurry of moves as teams competing for playoff spots looked to beef up their rosters for the stretch drive, while the bottom feeders look to shed salary and add assets for the future. One of the teams that was very active on deadline day and the week prior as they looked to shore up their roster were the New York Islanders. They had a veteran defenseman Andy Green in a trade with the Devils a couple of weeks ago and then paid up big to lend JG Pajot, who's having a career year from the Ottawa Senators, a few hours before the deadline passed. They followed up that Pajot deal by locking up the 27-year-old to a six-year contract extension, making sure it wouldn't just be a rental. Islanders team president Lou Lamorello wasn't satisfied even after acquiring Pajot. He reportedly tried to pull off a huge trade with the Wild that would have reunited him with Zach Parise, but the deal fell apart before the clock ran out regardless the New York Islanders clearly improved their chances as they look to get back to the postseason for the second consecutive year joining us to go deeper into the Islanders is one of the great writers for NHL.com he's their deputy managing editor covers the Islanders it's the great Brian Compton Brian how are you
1: I'm doing great, Rob. How are you, my friend?
2: Outstanding. Great to have you. It's been a long time since we spoke. As a matter of fact, a long time since we've also seen each other Uh, on the island. I was at a game in Brooklyn a couple of years ago, and since that time, this team has become a lot of fun and they were a surprise last year, not so much of a surprise this season considering what they did last year, but the way that they were able to get this organization to turn around, and certainly it coincides with Lou Lamorello coming aboard to be the president, and also the hiring of a new head coach, and we'll get into Barry Trotz here in just a little while, clearly those two have made just a dramatic difference with this organization.
1: Yeah, it's night and day, and and everything that they do, and how they you know, conduct themselves on and off the ice as far as practice habits go, things like that. Even warm-ups have been completely different since Barry Trotz uh, entered the fold here, Rob. So, uh, you know, you figured it would take a lot more time than what it took them to get things going in the right direction. But, I, like you said earlier. Uh, they certainly took a lot of people by surprise last year, but no surprise this year what they've been able to do, and obviously they made two big moves, as you said.
2: Absolutely. Let's go deeper into those moves, Brian, because clearly they were two of the most impactful moves that we saw before the deadline for any team. They go out and they add the defenseman, Andy Green. We'll talk about that in just one moment, but first let's get to the Pajot deal. It's a team that we know has great goaltending and an excellent defensive system. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league over the last couple of seasons, and that has not stopped at all this year but they've really struggled to put the puck in the net so to go out and get a guy like Pajot who's got the 24 goals on the board it's a career year offensively for him they had to be very pleased they were able to land him
1: yeah no doubt I mean he instantly is their new leading goal scorer with 24 goals Um, but I think it goes well beyond what he's done this year offensively Rob this is a guy who plays in all situations great on the penalty kill can chip in on the power play is going to alleviate a ton of pressure off Casey Zizekas when he comes back in a couple of weeks from his leg injury. Uh, a big-game-time big, time, uh, yeah, you know, big game time performer, Rob. You know, he had eight goals for the Senators during their run to the Eastern Conference Final three years ago. Uh, as Barry Trot said this morning uh, before the game against the Rangers, he checks all the boxes for the guy that they were seeking uh, before the deadline passed.
2: When it came to finding him and knowing that he was going to be a rent, at least initially, How close to the deadline do you think they got before they realized, wait a second, we we not only need to make this deal because we're going to get this guy in the fold, but we actually think we can extend him. Do you think they already knew ahead of time that he was a guy that was going to be willing to stay?
1: Well, Luke said yesterday he he wouldn't comment on the contingency if they would only give up what they gave up, provided that JG signed an extension. I have to think that that was part of it. Um, and JG talking to him, he basically said, what, after seeing what the Islanders paid to get him, uh, he was committed. He, he felt like he owed it to them to sign long-term after everything that they gave up. So he's very excited. Uh, his wife, I believe, is, is staying behind in Ottawa for a couple of days, and then they're going to start searching for a house here in Nassau County. So uh, he couldn't be more thrilled to be here. And, uh, you know things have changed in Islanders country when guys that are not only uh, you know coming here via trade but then willing to stay long-term and, and telling the media that they came here because they want to win a Stanley Cup. I mean, that's how drastically things have changed for the Islanders in these past two years.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. And on the surface, you look at the trade and you say, wow, first-round pick, second-round pick, conditional third-round pick. And again, if it's just for rental, that's a tremendous price tag to pay. So I'm with you. It sounds like they probably had some inkling that he was going to be willing to be there, and a six-year extension that followed it certainly gives his family some comfort. It's interesting, and we're talking to Brian Compton, deputy managing editor at NHL.com, does a great job for them covering the New York Islanders. He said, I believe yesterday, uh, during either a conference call or a press conference, that he puked the night before. (laughs) <laughs> that he, he was so worried about the fact that he was going to get traded. And I'm sure a lot of that goes to the fact that he's never been out of Ottawa, right? But it sounds like also that he's pretty comfortable with the landing spot. Going from the small market, even though it's, it's the capital of Canada and in Ottawa, it's still a small market team, to come to New York. Granted, it's not the Rangers, but it doesn't matter. You're still in the New York City area. Um, you would think the guy would be, you know, lacking comfort at, at that point. But it sounds like he, he's really excited about the opportunity.
1: Yeah, he's pumped. And, you know, not only is, you know, are the Senators the only team that he knows, Rob, but he and his wife are from that area as well. So I think that's what made this, this whole thing so more, uh, nerve wracking for, for the two of them. Uh, but again, and it goes back to, you know, going from a team like Ottawa that's been out of it for a long time here, uh, to a team that's in the mix. He's really, really excited about that. And he knows that there's going to be a lot of good players here for a long time. And he doesn't have to be the guy, which is basically what he was in Ottawa offensively. Uh, he can just step in and do what he does best, being a really good two-way centerman, um, and they'll chip in offensively when he can.
2: Where does he fit in, do you think, as far as line combinations, or have they not given any indication yet?
1: Well, he's playing against the Rangers with Josh Bailey and Michael Calco. I don't know if that's going to be the you know if that's going to be the line you know going into the playoffs and and forward after that. Uh, but that's where he's starting. Obviously, the Islanders are missing some players at the moment. Cal Clutterbuck is out, although I'm sure he'll play with. Tazekas and Matt Martin when Casey comes back as well. That, that's their fourth line. That's their staple. Uh, but the third line might interchange. Does he play with Derek Broussard a little bit? They are, they're really close friends. They've known each other for a long time. Uh, but he's starting with Bailey, who ironically was his roommate for the World Championships a couple of years back, which is pretty cool.
2: Oh, there you go. That adds to the comfort level as well. We're, yeah. about, we're talking to Brian Compton, covers the Islanders for NHL.com. Let's get to the other trade, Brian, that happened about a week prior when they went out and got Andy Green from the New Jersey Devils. So he only asked to cross the city, essentially, going from New Jersey to the island. And I'm sure that had something to do with the fact that he was willing to waive his no-trade clause. Also, a chance to win now, where the Devils aren't going anywhere. And he Gets reunited with Lou Lamarillo, who, of course, he knows very well from both their times in New Jersey. Uh, when it came to Andy Green and, and joining the team, what were your thoughts on that move?
1: I loved it, and I I, I think it was almost every bit as important as getting Peugeot, off. Uh, to be honest with you, because once Adam Pellick got injured, uh, he injured his Achilles before a game. <clears throat> excuse me, ironically against the Devils on January second, it just threw everything off with the rest of the of the, of the five defensemen. And Andy Green uh, is a veteran guy and has just brought that balance back and plays a very similar style uh, to what Adam Pellick brought to the table. Really good stick, blocks a ton of shots, uh, chips in sporadically, offensively, you know when he can. Uh, but he's just brought so much balance back to, to the other five guys. And you're not seeing Nick Letty and Ryan Pollock playing 22, 23, 24 minutes a night. It's back down to 19, 20, 21, which is what Barry Trotz wants.
2: And obviously they're not expecting a lot from Andy when it comes to offense. I mean, he's not really that kind of guy, but they're willing to live with that at this point, I would think.
1: Oh, of course. And they have other guys on that blue line who can contribute offensively. Devontae, Nick Letty, Ryan Pollock. I mean, Johnny Boychuk has a really good shot. Scott Mayfield is actually really good at getting the puck to the net. He doesn't put up a ton of points. Uh, but he is good at, at doing that. So uh, Andy Green was not brought in to, to hmm. pump a bunch, a bunch of pucks into the net. Uh, it's more to keep you know the puck out of their own net, and that's uh, that's his bread and butter, and that's the Islanders' bread and butter.
2: Was he asked? And I, I've always been curious about this. When a guy gets traded and they go from being the captain on one team and then they come over to a brand new organization where they're not even wearing a letter at all at this point, was he asked at all about leadership and and the role that he's now going to play compared to what he had in New Jersey?
1: Yeah, I'm sure there were conversations between he and Lou and Barry about what they expect from him. And and I'm sure, you know, having that prior relationship with Lou, Lou knew exactly what he was getting in Andy Green. You don't need to wear a letter to be a leader. Uh, He knows that. And, um, you know, he waived his no trade, like he said, not just because it's geographically close to where he was, but because just like Pajot, he wants to win. Uh, the Devils were not making the playoffs. They're in a complete rebuild in, in New Jersey uh, and it's a chance to win. I'm sure he was really excited about that.
2: I've got to ask you about that really quick. Uh, did he give any indication also about the disappointment in New Jersey?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean look, everybody had higher. I don't know, I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs, Rob, because when you just make so many changes like they did uh, it's tough to just gel and, and take off, right? I mean everything Yeah, every team is different, I get it, but Um, uh, you know, Andy Green's 37 years old. He wants to win. He he went to the Cup Final in 2012. Uh, Things didn't pan out. Uh, Jack Hughes is going to be a very good player down the road. Uh, But he has, what, seven or eight goals? I mean, I I don't think anybody foresaw the the offensive struggles that Jack Hughes has endured this first season. So they have a lot of work to do. Um, I think Devils fans should have... The utmost faith in Tommy Fitzgerald. I think he's going to be a really, really good general manager, uh, but it's going to take some time to get things right there.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they are a long ways off, but uh, I agree with you. Tom Fitzgerald's done a great job, and, and maybe we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, back to the aisles, though. We're talking to Brian Compton, covers the aisles for NHL.com. So those are the two trades that did happen, Brian, for New York. And there was one that was rumored, and I mentioned it at the top, with Zach Parise, who also it sounded like wanted to be reunited with Lou Lamarello a trade that was being worked on according to multiple reports with Minnesota that ultimately not did not wind up getting done. And obviously Parise has got a ton of money left on his contract, 35 years old, and I'm sure money had a lot to do with the holdup as they were trying to piece it all together. Did you get any idea of how close that deal actually came to getting done?
1: I didn't, at least from the Islander side. Uh, Lou wouldn't comment on it. I spoke with Andrew Ladd this morning. He was obviously rumored to be involved in this trade. Uh, with the massive contract that he has as well. Um, look, I mean, could could Zach Parise have helped the Islanders? Absolutely. Lou would not comment on it. it uh, to me, if if there's a lot, if there's smoke here, Rob, uh, I have a feeling that this could be revisited either at the draft or at some point over the summer. It sounds like Zach Parise um, wants wants to be an Islander. Uh, there's a legacy here. His dad played for the Islanders back in the '70s. Scored the big first big goal in franchise history against the rangers in the playoffs in 1975 um the wild are kind of in the same boat as the devils right i mean they they need they have a lot of work to do to get things right uh, bill Guerin looks like he's gonna be a really good G- gm for them for a while um so I could I think this could be something that's revisited if it's as close as it was as as it was reported yesterday.
2: Yeah, that's interesting because there's so many angles to that based on his age and the money still left that the Islanders would be okay with absorbing both those and yes there would be money going back the other way with Andrew Ladd as you mentioned so they could probably make it work financially but still to take on a guy at his age and and be comfortable with the fact that he has 5 years left on a contract is one thing and also from Parise's perspective where he was apparently willing to waive his no-trade clause. As you said, he wants to be an Islander. His dad, he's got the legacy there. But if you remember back to the time when he left the Devils and went to Minnesota, he was so excited about going home. I'm going back to Minnesota. I I can't imagine ever wanting to play anywhere else. And all of a sudden, maybe it clicked in his mind. You know what? I'm 35 years old. I need to go get a winner. And this team isn't going to be it. And it's interesting how that, that dynamic changed so quickly for him.
1: Yeah, and it's not always... I mean, look, I understand why he would be excited about going home, but it, it's not always rosy, those situations. I mean, I don't think John Tavares has envisioned, envisioned the way things have gone in Toronto <laughs> so far. is the east side there, right? So you just never know how it's going to go, and you can tell now that the they are they're not close. Uh, and like you said, Zach's 35. He wants to win. Um, and it's, it's just a matter of how do they fit this all together. I'm sure it was trying to figure out contract stuff yesterday. If it got as close as it did, um, Lou has to re-sign Matt Barzell, Ryan Pollack and Devontae's this summer. They're all, un- uh, no, excuse me, not unrestricted. They're restricted free agents. Um, Matt Barzell is probably going to get at upwards of $8 million per. So it's, it's going to be tough to fit all these guys in and, Uh, Like you said, Zach has a pretty hard cap hit here for the next five years. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So those are the deals that got done and the one deal that didn't get done. And we have an idea now what the roster is going to look like as they make this playoff push and currently sitting in a playoff spot. I want to ask you about about the system a little bit because we do know that the goaltending has been great. And and I also want to ask you about Varlamov here in a second. But first, with the system... Does that lead at all to the lack of goal production? And I, I, I'm asking that from the perspective of you look at the goal totals. They're 12th in the Eastern Conference right now putting the puck in the net. And it's not because they don't have talent on their forward lines. You mentioned some of the talent here just a little bit ago. They have a very defensive-oriented system. Does that have anything to do with it? I mean, we looked at those Devils teams in the mid-90s. They didn't put the puck in the net a lot, and they won a ton anyway. They, they found a way. So are, are they comfortable with not scoring as many goals as, say, the Maple Leafs or the Lightning or other teams in the Eastern
1: Conference? Uh, I mean, look, I'm sure they would like to score more goals. And I, I think they have for the most part, aside from that rotten road trip that they had uh, recently, Rob, where they lost four straight and only scored two goals. That's obviously not going to cut it. Um, they spent a lot of time in their own end, not because they're inept. Uh, they wait for the other team to make a mistake and then they pounce. And they don't have a ton of guys who drive uh, the offensive play. I think Peugeot will help it in that respect um and i think they'd like to see more from a a, you know a guy like Devontae who's starting to to come along uh this past month or so i think he's capable of doing a little bit more offensively but um uh, i think that they're capable of getting three to four goals every night it's just a matter of making sure that it's two or less uh and varlamov's been really really good for the past five or six games i think he's allowed eight goals in the last five games and he's going to make his Six consecutive start against the Rangers on Tuesday night. So if he continues to, to be as, as sharp as he's been over the past two weeks or so, uh, the Islanders are going to be in really good shape come playoff time. Yeah, and
2: when it comes to Varlamov, they must be thrilled overall at that acquisition. You let Robin Leonard go coming off the year that he had a season ago, and he's been great again this year. Just got traded again, by the way. And, and they yeah. pair Varlamov again with Thomas Grice, and they essentially are using them almost in that 50 50 split, or well, close to it anyway, like they had last year with Leonard and Grice. They overall, I would think, Brian, have to be pretty thrilled with the combination.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, particularly during that 17-game point streak that they had earlier in the year when they were alternating goalies every game. I mean, it was crazy. No matter who was in there, they were getting points every night. Um, Things started to tail off a little bit once the point streak ended. Uh He ran with Semyon for a little bit, and it just didn't work out. Um, Grice, I don't think, has been as good as he was a year ago. He hasn't been terrible, Um, but I don't think he's been at the level that he was last year. Uh, and now Semyon's starting to, to run with it here a little bit, but Barry has told us, you know, March is a really, really busy month for these guys. He's probably going to go back to alternating, them. we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I would, and, and I would anticipate if they make the playoffs that Semyon's going to be the guy come game one.
2: Interesting. We're talking to Brian Compton for a few more minutes, covers the New York Islanders for NHL.com. I want to ask you about last year, because they wind up sweeping the Penguins in the first round, and then they wind up getting swept right back in the second round by Carolina. But overall, you know, you you talk to players, especially with teams that are just kind of breaking in, coming into their own, and they'll tell you that just making the playoffs that first year, and especially if you can get a win, and they did win a round uh, in dominating fashion over a very good Penguins team, to get that experience under their belt and i'm sure they've talked about this at some point this year at least i would imagine they have that having the experience is going to be huge for them going into the postseason should they get there this year
1: yeah no doubt i mean look Anders lee didn't even play during during the 16 playoffs because he had a broken leg um and he only played a, a couple of games when they lost to the caps the year before in the playoffs so um that was his real real first taste of, of a um and look you know the the sweep against Carolina stung but they did have 10 ge- 10 days off in between series which is a really long time uh they switched their their home rinks in the second round which is <laughs> I mean nobody else has to deal with something like that and that's finally going to go away come 2021 when Belmont opens um but look the, the the foundation is here to make the playoffs now year in and year out uh and we'll see if, uh, should they make it and I think they will uh, how much they benefited from the run they went on last year.
2: Just one more for you here, Brian, before I let you go. So we talked about the Devils and the fact that they're in a rebuild. We know the Islanders are making a push, and the Rangers are this big question mark. What are they? Uh, they? They started the rebuild a couple of years ago. They've been on fire here over the last couple of weeks, and suddenly it seems like they want to get out of the rebuild immediately. They wind up taking the biggest piece, the would, biggest would-be piece anyway, for the trade market and in Chris Kreider, and they eliminate him from being traded by signing him to a contract extension. So to me, at least, that indicates the idea that they want to go for it now. Do you get that same read?
1: Well, I think that they kind of figured out that if you lose Chris Kreider, who's replacing him? Uh, and for the trade, whatever trade was available for Chris, I'm sure the, the bulk of it was picks and prospects. So now you're talking another couple of years down the road. Um, I think they're in really good shape to, to compete, as we've seen. I mean, they're in the playoff mix now, uh, and they're going to be, a, a, if not a bubble team next year, a playoff team for sure, uh, because of what we've seen from Shesterkin, who's just been fantastic. Now he's going to miss a couple of weeks after that unfortunate car accident that he was in on Sunday with Pavel Busnevich. Um, but they have so many young pieces coming on the blue line to the point where they could afford to trade a guy like Brady Shea to Carolina. That's how deep they are defensively in their system. Uh, Panarin's fantastic up front. Sabina has been fantastic. Ryan Strom has been really, really good. Um, they, they declined to trade Jesper Fast, who could become a free agent on July 1st. They have a, they're in a really good position here. They have a really good coach. Um, and I, I wasn't at the end of the day. I really wasn't surprised that they made the commitment to Chris because he's going to be. He would be, He would have been so hard to replace Rob. He's a five-tool guy. I mean, he's he should score thirty-five goals every year with his eyes closed. I mean, the guy's six-three, two thirty-five, <laughs> and skates like the wind. It's crazy. You, you, the guys like that don't grow on trees.
2: No, no, completely agree. He's a tremendous player, and I'm with you. I actually thought it was a pretty good move to wind up keeping him around, and if nothing else, he gives them another another big-time scoring threat for next year and a guy who they can count on, a guy who they know really well. So I'm right there with you 100%. And, and as far as Shcherkin goes, by the way, that car accident – As unfortunate as it was, obviously, for him and for Buchnevich as well. Uh, But when it comes to how it affected the trade deadline, I was actually talking to Sam Rosen last week, and I was wondering out loud to Sam whether or not he thought that ultimately Henrik Lundqvist would wind up waiving the no-trade clause this time around, and maybe with Shosturkin playing as well as he have and and their backup goaltender playing as well as he has, uh, that maybe this is the time where Lundqvist, uh, as kind of like the odd man out, says, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else, And I wonder if that car accident eliminated any possibility uh, that they would even ask him if he'd want to be traded.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Hank wants to play. There's no doubt about that. And I, I think he probably would have agreed to waive his no trade clause. Had there been a trade that was out there, Rob. Um, But I think other GMs around the league know that there's a really good chance that Hank is just going to get bought out by the Rangers when this season is over. So why are you going to give up assets, right? Uh, if If you could sign him next year, uh, for a lower term deal, which I think is going to be the case. Um, Colorado, wherever, wherever it, it would be. Yeah. Um, it, it it's just crazy that it's come to this with Hank. I mean, you never thought that it would end this way. Uh, if this is the direction that the Rangers are going to go, but you, we, we've seen this is just certain and what he's already is and what is going to be down the road. Um, and Georgiev's no slouch. He's been pretty good for the most part since he came up from Hartford. So uh the Rangers look to be pretty set in goaltending here for a while.
2: Yeah, it's almost painful to watch, isn't it? It's it's the superstar yeah. going out slowly and boy, it's it's almost like, uh, you know, I think um, Sam said it best. It's like Derek Jeter when he's he's kind of phasing out in his career and he's batting 240 at the end, and then all of a sudden he's gone and you can't believe he's gone. It's, it's sort of like that, I think, here with uh, with Hank and unfortunate to, uh, to watch. But at least they are keeping him around and keeping him on the bench and not just giving him a healthy scratch every night, which would be really tough to watch. Brian, it's been a, a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it and enjoy covering this team. I, I think this Islander squad's a lot of fun.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob. I really really appreciate it. Take care.
2: That is the great Brian Compton, Deputy Managing Editor at NHL.com, covering the New York Islanders. This is the Rink Rat Show. We'll see you next week.